0: Love is in the air, and there are a few things that I love more than a profitable restaurant. What's your plan to ensure that this Valentine's Day is your most profitable yet? Connect with the Yelp for Restaurants restaurant expert to gain access to the tools and tactics you need to have a banner Valentine's Day. Visit restaurants.yelp.com to start planning today. Now here we go. We were just
1: relentless.
0: We outworked
1: everybody. So we launched at the same time as a bunch of different food trucks. And you just saw like we were out there seven days a week. We just grinded harder than everybody.
0: Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry. Featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators. Served up on the house. I was raised in this industry, and for the first 10 years of my career, I ran my restaurants the way I was taught to run other people's restaurants. I led my teams the way others had led me, and I never questioned it, until one day I did, and a whole new world opened up before my eyes. But what if you never got that education? Andrew Dana is an incredibly successful restaurateur, sitting on over half a dozen locations, and the dude had absolutely no operational experience prior to opening his first restaurant. He just did what he thought was right and followed his gut instincts. Today we go through how an industry outsider is changing the way we should look at our restaurants and our industry.
1: Yeah, before Timber, you know, I graduated college and was sort of just a rudderless ship. I sold windows door to door, which I think is maybe the worst job in America. Got kicked out of many houses. Then I applied to grad school mostly just because I thought it was a way to buy myself some more time. So I applied to the MBA program at Fordham simply because it was the only school still accepting applications in March when most schools have already closed their applications. Got in and was studying, I guess, business, but mostly I was just eating pizza and bagels in New York and living it up. And then I graduated and I knew then that I like wanted to open a pizza restaurant, but was too scared. So moved back to DC and worked for an education technology company as a traveling salesman, basically. So I was flying to Western New York and Ohio and that shit was horrible. And so I knew I wanted to open a pizza restaurant. So I started looking at pizza locations.
0: To pause you for a minute, yeah. had you worked at a pizza restaurant prior to wanting to open one?
1: Zero. I had eaten a lot of pizza in college. I worked at a deli called Rising Roll, which I believe is a Southern chain, just to pay the bills. And I was a guy slicing meat in the back, where I would slice one to the pile, one in my mouth, and they didn't love that, so it didn't work there for that long. And that was about the extent of my restaurant experience, which is why when I was like touring these locations, they were asking me questions, and I, like I didn't even know what the question meant. Needless to say, I definitely didn't know the answer. I was like, I don't know what the fuck that means. So I was like, what's a way I can like dip my toes in the water and see if I really want to do this, which led me to start Timber as like a mobile wood fired biz like pizza oven first So going to farmer's markets, festivals. And then that led to the restaurant and bada bing, bada boom. Here we are doing podcasts.
0: <laughs> so let's get into the actual launch of Timber. It's your freshman effort. What did you do right? And what would you improve upon next time?
1: It's sort of the same answer to both is that I was... Freaking clueless. Right. So I like always make the bad comparison that I was walking through a landmine field and just didn't know it. And just like, luckily didn't step on a landmine, but we were just relentless. We outworked everybody. So we launched at the same time as a bunch of different food trucks. And you just saw, like, we were out there seven days a week, double gigs. We would do a gig in the morning, drive to Baltimore, do a gig there in the afternoon. And we just like straight up outworked people. If I could do it all over again, not that I would change much, but I would like maybe put some systems and some better recipes in place early on. There was days we would show up there and we had forgotten to put the yeast in because the recipe was sort of living in my brain or there was too much yeast, which we eventually sort of got some systems in place and streamlined those things. But like. I think in a lot of businesses, people have this desire to sort of fast forward to like sitting in the C-suite and like, oh, I'm the business owner. And they do that too quickly. And then certainly in this business and hospitality, customers' experiences and just nailing everything is so important. And we just grinded harder than everybody. And the food trucks we started at the same time is most of them had more experience. Some of them had better ideas. They had better funding, but... These dudes were taking weekends off so they could go to parties and going to birthday parties and taking three weeks off in August to go on family vacations. And we were like, "No, we're just going to work every single day for a couple of years and see what that does for
0: us. So for the first couple of years, it wasn't even about working on the business. It was just working in the business, trying to understand it.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was coming from it with no experience. We had to learn the ropes right and had to make sure that we were doing everything perfectly And when you start like a food truck business and you have minimal funding, you don't really have the money to work on the business. So we're just in there grinding away, trying to build a name for ourselves, trying to make better pizza every single day, and just making sure that we're getting better every day. Like Basically, we're all just on this pursuit for getting better every single day, which if you show up and try and do that every day for a couple of years, eventually you'll start making okay pizza.
0: Now, when that translates to a brick and mortar, right? So you're out of the food truck, you've got a brick and mortar business under your belt. Are you the manager? Did you buy yourself a job or was the strategy with the brick and mortar to pull yourself out of the business?
1: Early on, I guess I was the manager. My fiance, Daniela, and I are business partners. And I would say the two of us together were the manager. And that was simply because we didn't know any better. Again, it was just about outworking people and if we're there every single day, we know things are going to be done perfectly. And so eventually, you know, a year in, once things were starting to go really well, we said, okay, like you can't be an employee and an owner at the same time. So it's now time to start to remove ourselves a little bit from this. But I wouldn't change that if we went back in time because us grinding in there every single day, like if we ever saw an issue, we made it right. And like we guaranteed that every single customer had an amazing experience. And it was an open kitchen where if I was making pizza, I could see the entire dining room. So I was sort of like managing the dining room and the kitchen at the same time. And you only get one first impression. So it's like you can't risk somebody else feeling ownership over it at the beginning when it's a newborn baby and it needs to be coddled every single day. So while it was brutal and really hard, and I don't want to go back and do that again, it was absolutely necessary for the launch of the business.
0: And as you began to delegate so that you could spend more time working on the business, was that a messy process? I would assume it was, yeah?
1: Yeah, it was slow. And like candidly, a lot of it was ego-driven, right? We were like, this place will never be the same if we're not in here every single day. So like, we were working on the business and growth plans and what's next? And are we going to do this bagel concept? Oh my God, I can't get out of here. And it actually took me hurting myself in a basketball game. So I popped the a tendon in my foot so I couldn't walk. And it literally took that to get me out of the restaurant every single day, which was a blessing in disguise because then I can go in and since I can't make pizza anymore, now I can start to actually manage a little better and I can have conversations with the new manager and I can start to work on other things. But I don't think we've ever sort of lost that ethos of outworking people. When we opened the next business, it was the same. And we have five locations of the bagel shop today and a couple of the pizza locations and We're still in there sometimes like on the ground level, because that's the only way you can sort of learn the ins and outs of the business and get better.
0: Well, that's what I think is super interesting about your path. So I built out a really successful bar concept in Hollywood. And then rather than opening a second one, I pivoted into fine dining because I like to punish myself, especially when I've done something right. And then when that did really well, I was like, oh, we should do a fast casual concept because I know nothing about that tier of dining. And this was my process because I'm masochistic. But you did the same thing. I mean, you've got a successful pizza concept, so grow it. Why pivot to bagels? I think it comes down to our
1: favorite part about this business is the creative process. Like there was nothing more fun than at the beginning of Timber going in every day and deciding how to design the space and designing the initial menu. And after grinding in Timber for a year and a half, two years, it was finally stable. And I think we had just sort of been in the weeds for so long that we needed to do something like fun and refreshing. And so we were just like, let's like do something new and like, let's tackle a new challenge, which is what led to Call Your Mother. And it was basically just like, yeah, born out of this creative itch that we had.
0: You're the only person I have ever heard refer to opening a restaurant is fun and refreshing. <laughs> well, <laughs> the
1: opening part wasn't that fun, but the building out of the, building the menu sure. and the design. Yeah, no, we got our shit rock when we opened for
0: sure. Oh, for sure. Well, so let's talk about that because the concept itself is very stylized. And I'm sure the bagels are great, but I would also argue that there are restaurants that close every day that have great food, that have incredible food, because that's only part of what I think people are attracted to. And you have a really specific aesthetic, like a strong sense of style that goes into all of your concepts. Talk to me about one, the creative process there, since you brought it up and then two how much you think that affects the affinity that people have not really for your business but like for your brand
1: yeah so everything we do is pretty bootstrappy and we design in a bootstrappy way sort of how once you draw up a business plan nobody ever looks at it again and you sort of make decisions every single day we design the same way so i call it design on the fly so you go in every day you see what the space is looking like and you just make decisions based on that so we never sort of have this master plan that we follow, we sort of just chip away at it sort of day by day. And then for the actual sort of design and aesthetic, it's funny for both restaurants, I just sort of like close my eyes and envision what I want it to be like. And then we sort of back our way into that. So for Timber, I knew I wanted it to feel like you were in the Adirondacks in the summer. And that was before we even had a name or anything. And then we sort of like figure out how to get there. And then same with Call Your Mother. I was inspired by visiting my grandparents in Boca Raton, but then also eating bagels when I went to grad school in Brooklyn. And so I was like, how do we mend this Boca Brooklyn sort of connection? And then the most important thing is we just like to make shit that we like. That sort of bleeds through to the menu and the design and we're not trying to sort of like chase a trend or make it look like another deli or another pizza shop we just sort of like try and make shit that we like and thank god other people have similar taste to us and like what like what we like
0: if you're as obsessed with food as i am then you're going to love this sponsor what if i told you there's a credit card that's made for food lovers well foodies meet the us bank altitude go visa signature card With this credit card, you'll get four times the points on restaurant deliveries, takeout orders, and dine-in brunches, lunches, or dinners. Plus, Altitude Go gets you two times the points on groceries, yes, even delivery, streaming services, and gas station purchases. Apply to become an Altitude Go cardholder at usbank.com slash Altitude Go. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association Pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc., some restrictions may apply. I think all of us, especially in the creative process, when we're looking at whether it's digital assets our branding assets or the overall aesthetic of the restaurant, we always talk about like how we need to execute, what it needs to look like. But especially when you're overtime and over budget, which has at least been the story for me every time I've built out a restaurant, you kind of lose that. What do we want it to feel like? What do we want that experience to be like? And that's really what creates the affinity, right? Like people can make bagels at their house. They can make a pizza at home. Trader Joe's has a decent crust. What I'm saying is, is they're going out for an experience. And so a huge part of that has to go into that initial design process. I also think a big thing that goes into the way people feel is like the cultural experience that the employees provide. Talk to me about company culture and what you guys have done. How did that play out conceptually through execution?
1: Well, we came at it from two different ways. And one is Daniela, my fiance and business partner sort of went to culinary school and came up through kitchens. So she saw sort of how heinous the culture in a lot of kitchens are. And then I came at it just like totally from outside of the industry. So I was like, wait, why does it have to be like that? That just doesn't seem right. Like people should enjoy coming to work and we should treat everybody the same. So we just had that like original ethos. And then sort of our initial business plan that is you have to have super happy employees for any of it to work, right? If your employees aren't 100% bought in, they're not going to give great service. And if they don't give great service, why are people going to want to come back? Because what you alluded to is you can get anything in the world delivered to your couch now, right? And with ghost kitchens and Amazon Fresh or Go, whatever the hell it's called it's people can have anything at their fingertips just like that. So people want sort of this nose to tail experience, good food, incredible design, great service. And I truly believe that sort of like the spark to all of that is super happy employees. So you just can't cut any corners on anything there. You can't cut their pay. You can't cut their hours. You can't cut their benefits. It's just all an important piece of the puzzle that leads to a successful business.
0: But what does that look like in practical application? Everyone listening is like, sure, bro, but how do you pay for that? Yeah. Well, you have to
1: catch lightning in a bottle and have a really busy restaurant. <laughs> so, which is what we've been very lucky to do two times. But I think they feed off of each other, right? Is we have so many employees who have been with us since day one at Timber. It's, we've been open for five years. And we have so many employees who have been with us since day one at Call Your Mother. It's been over three years. And I truly do think those sort of feed into each other. And I guess it's somewhat of a chicken or an egg question, like, do you pay them and hope the business sort of can sustain that, which is what we've done. And we're lucky enough that it worked. But I think you can make it work as long as you have some sort of reasonable volume. It's just maybe you don't have as many employees and you have to be smarter with the way you hire. But the problem is the second you start to chip away at those things with the employees, the service goes down. So it's like it all goes down at the same time. So I guess the answer is do the right thing. Hopefully these great employees lead to a successful business and say a couple of prayers.
0: So do you see a world that exists where, especially in your locations, the people are able to order through kiosk or app or order at the table? How important is the team in the future expansion? Like what is not the future of restaurants because it's just so frigging broad. Like what is the future of your restaurant? Do you look at this tech and say, I'm going to stick old school, or are you willing to evolve?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the answer lies somewhere in the middle. I don't envision a future where we have kiosks and order with barcodes at the table. We do have online ordering, so you can online order to come pick up. But my favorite part of going to a restaurant is talking to the people there and saying, hey, what's great? What's your favorite? Oh, can I make this like weird modification? And we always say we're a restaurant, so you lose that at a kiosk and a table. And a lot of people have lots of questions. And if you sort of chip away at that experience, then you've sort of lost what you are and your original ethos. So while we use technology to track ordering trends and to see what people are ordering a second time and what they're not ordering anymore so we can improve that product, I think we're in the hospitality industry to be hospitable and not to have people come and order on robots. And there's enough places doing that to sort of cut as many costs as possible, and I think we'd like to play the game to make it an incredible experience nose to tail, and I think you need that personal touch to do that.
0: I want to talk about diversification of revenue streams, something super bland, but also really, really relevant, and something I think you've done really well in looking at if it rains in New York, it negatively affects business in one way, but picks up business in another way if you've done it right. And I think you've done it really right. Can you talk about all of your different revenue streams and how they work in conjunction?
1: Yeah. So I think a lot of it stemmed from the fact that we were like, restaurants never work. Holy shit. How are we going to make this work? How are we going to pay our rent? We have to do as much stuff as possible. And so we do, obviously, restaurant online ordering. We do some delivery. We've heavily focused on catering which doesn't mean just office catering. So for Timber, we'll cater, we've built out a whole wedding catering team. Pre-COVID, we did 48 weddings that year. And then we also do tons of farmer's markets, which it's a way to get to pockets of the city that don't know about your restaurant. So it's this way to A, market your restaurant and your product and your catering while also making money. And then at Call Your Mother, now we're starting to do an online store for swag and starting to ship products. So I think we're always looking for the next sort of way to drive revenue, but have it be sort of still make sense and be a part of your business. So there were some other things we did early on with Call Your Mother where we did supper clubs and we did bagel making classes. And at Timber, we did pizza making classes. So Our whole ethos was if it wasn't bolted down, we'll sell it and we'll make it fun. And, you know, and that goes back to that original hustle where it's like, we're just going to outwork people and we're going to outsell people because we need this to work.
0: And so as you grow the business, do you think that you've set up a team that can carry you or is that something you're in the process of doing now? Both.
1: let's just talk about Call Your Mother. We have five Call Your Mother locations. We have an admin corporate team there of like 12 to 15 people which I would say is probably big for that level, but we're really trying to build a strong foundation to get ready to grow. I always say we're on a speeding bullet train and it's impossible to build a foundation when you're on a speeding bullet train. So let's get ahead of that. So I think this team can get us for the next couple locations, but the entire team are sort of rookie novices like I am. We're all doing this for the first time, which is great and has allowed us to succeed on sort of elbow grease and grit. And now we're starting to interview people for like a COO position, somebody who's done some of this, who's been through this, who can help kind of guide us through some of the hurdles that we're definitely going to run into. So while we have an incredible team that is definitely ready to grow, we're also looking for a veteran leader to come in and say, hey, like, this is what you're doing right. Here's where I can help.
0: If you were to look internally, and I don't mean this in like a hubristic way, But what do you think, you know, that other owners and operators don't? The failure rate is massive and you literally came in with no experience under your belt and built out more than half a dozen locations. If you were to boil it down, what did you do right that most people don't?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's so cliche, but like we worked insanely hard and we're on a strip with other restaurants. I'm just telling you, we worked like twice as many hours as everybody else. So we just knew things were like gonna be sort of right every single day. And then on top of that, in any industry, there's so much pressure to do things sort of like industry standard, right? Where whatever, it's real estate, whatever people do things a certain way. And I think we've just sort of always bucked that whether it's the way we treat our staff or the way we design a restaurant, it's like, There was no bagel shops that didn't have subway tile and a certain type of menu and a certain type of layout. We were just like, fuck that. We're going to sort of do our own thing. So I think it really boils down to, A, not being scared to sort of do things a little differently and do it your own way. And then B, just fucking grinding in the trenches every single day until things are perfect.
0: Well, and now let's post mortem your career. At least your career thus far when you open the next spot, what are you going to do differently, both personally and professionally?
1: System, 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 systems. There was too much stuff early on that we tried that we left up for sort of human interpretation and we thought we had it nailed, right? Like one handful of cheese for the pizzas. One handful the same for everybody. Absolutely not. Your handful is different than my handful. So it's now we have everything pictured to death. And while like, I wouldn't change anything because it's led to sort of where we are, which is great. I do think on the next one, I'd like a little more separation from work and personal life, which there just basically has been zero for the last five years. And maybe I don't have to skip all my friends' weddings if we put in the proper systems and hire the right staff. But that being said, I wouldn't change anything because it worked out. And it's like giving your newborn baby over to somebody else to raise it. It's like, you got to raise that shit.
0: Well, and let's talk about systems. So high level, everyone listening is in agreement, right? Everyone could use more systems. Are you building them? Are you borrowing them? Or is it an amalgamation of the two? What are the resources that you've used to build out your systems?
1: Yeah, I think people get like obsessed with new technologies. And there's this new app that's going to solve everything. And there's this next hire that's going to solve everything. And for the most part, we sort of overcomplicate things. So we've tried every sort of checklist app and all that. And like, you know, what works the best is making a checklist in Excel, and printing it out and laminating it and making sure the opening manager is making sure that everybody's using their checklist every day. And that's kind of it. and then. I think where we also sort of lose steam a lot of time is we're like, hey, we made this checklist. We're good. I'm sure the staff is going to follow it forever. And I always say everywhere at our restaurants is things change 1% every single day. And if you just allow it to sort of exist, it's going to change 50% in 50 days, basically. So it comes down to creating very simple, very sort of tangible checklists or systems that people are actually going to use every day. And then it becomes about a relentless pursuit to make sure they're actually implemented every day because early on it was all about these technologies and it's going to solve everything. And then like nobody's fucking using them and a piece of paper that people can look at and hold just works just as well. So don't overcomplicate it.
0: But I think you're getting at the root of and I think it's worth bringing up is accountability. It's not just about having the systems. It's about having the accountability system in place so that people are actually using the systems that are established in such a happy cultural place, I'm curious to know, what does accountability look like in your company?
1: Yeah, I mean, I made everybody read Radical Candor, which is you give feedback in real time. But in order to do that, you have to build real meaningful relationships and care about people. And there's a way to give real feedback. So we're sort of always constantly trying to read new books about how to be great managers. But then it's also about celebrating wins, right? And I'd say we do that to uh, almost a corny amount, but it It works and the team's stoked about it. And we have employees of the month that there's actual real tangible prizes. It's not just a picture on the wall. It's this and that. And pre-COVID, we'd have these parties and we'd have raffles and we'd give away big screen TVs and cruises and stuff like that. And like all that stuff sort of adds up. And the more stuff you do to show your staff that you're excited and into them, the more they're going to be excited and sort of into making sure the restaurant works every single day. And then incentivizing your GMs with a great pay structure and or stock options goes a long way. People want to feel ownership in things. And one thing we have not done, which I think a lot of business people would say we're silly for, is we have not hoarded our equity. we have much rather have a small piece of a bigger pie than hoard all the equity and not share it. So right now, there's, I think, 10 or 12 employees that have stock options. And we've saved a lot more for other high-performing employees because ain't no fun unless your friends can get some.
0: This is an industry podcast. And at the end of every episode, I like to give the guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. Do you have any advice or words of encouragement you'd like to offer?
1: Yeah, I would just tell everybody sort of slow down, build a strong ass foundation. Like we all want to sort of rush to the next thing or rush to the C-suite and rush to hire this next person. And I think everybody, and we need to do this more, is Slow down, take a deep breath, make sure you actually need to hire that person. Do you actually need to do that thing? And don't do any of that until your foundation is incredibly strong and your systems are in place and you're nailing it every single day. I tell my team, you know, we have this sort of big corporate admin team. And I say, that's great that we sit in this office and sit here and dream up all these things, but none of this matters if we're not making great food and giving great service every single day. So slow down and make sure you're making great food and giving great service every single day.
0: That's Andrew Dana. For more on Call Your Mother, go to callyourmotherdeli.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp